Joining us on CEO Uncovered is one of the most accomplished journalists in America, Chris Hansen. Chris is best known for his work on Dateline NBC, where he helped create and founded the Catch a Predator series. For nearly decades, Chris has continued to break news and become a staple of pop culture, having to be featured on the Emmys, Blackish, South Park, Family Guy, and many other shows. Currently, Chris is the co-founder of the true crime network, True Blue, where on his new show, Takedown, Chris is continuing to catch predators and keep America safe from people who are trying to prey on children. Chris is a fellow graduate of Michigan State, go green, and has won 10 go Emmys white. and five Edwards R. Murrow Awards. So we are happy to have Chris on. Chris, how are you? Good, Ashley. How are you? I'm doing great. So I want to talk first and start with your background. What sparked your passion for journalism? Many years ago in suburban Detroit, my family lived about a mile and a half from where Jimmy Hoffa, the former Teamster president, was last seen and presumed kidnapped. There's a restaurant called the Red Fox. It was on Telegraph Road. And when he went missing, it was a huge story, both locally in Detroit and around the country, around the world, really. And, and I was fascinated by it. And I used to ride my bike up there and they had the crime scene and FBI agents and local police and local reporters and network reporters. And, you know, I was probably 15 years old at the time, 14, 15. And, and I got bit by the bug. And I became very interested in journalism, television journalism, crime reporting. And so when I started at Michigan State University, about the second or third day up there, I walked over to the Student Services Building and, and I signed up for the Michigan State Radio Network. And I became a reporter on that day. And they put me to work and um, we covered stories around campus and anchored shows and and played some music and really had a, the wonderful beginnings of a... Um, a journalistic career at Michigan State and had some great professors there and great opportunities to work for the newspaper and local commercial radio. And when I was a senior, I was lucky enough to get hired on by the NBC station. And again, I was a reporter. How did that lead you to to catch a predator? And what was the process in starting that show? Well, I worked my way through local news, was a reporter in Detroit uh, for 10 years after being in Tampa, and I was fortunate enough to get the call to go to NBC. And, and there was a different news magazine there at the time, in addition to Dateline. I worked there. It was called Now. And still with a focus on, you know, enterprise reporting, some investigative crime, breaking news, and, and some features. And along the way, in about 2004, I became aware of a online watchdog group called Perverted Justice, which at that time would pose in chat rooms as children, decoy work. And if an adult made a date for sex with a child, they would post their information on their website. And sometimes those cases would get prosecuted by local law enforcement. And I figured that if we could combine Perverted Justice's ability to do this decoy work with our ability at NBC to wire a house with hidden microphones and cameras, it could be very compelling. And so we did it in February of 2004 in Bethpage, Long Island. And I was worried as to whether or not anybody would show up. Well, in two and a half days, 17 guys showed up to have sex with a child, including a New York City firefighter. And I was blown away. And we went back and, and explained what we had found. And honestly, you know, the network was a little nervous about how do we deal with this? This is this is incredible material. It's shocking. And uh, several months later, we put together a, a special on Dateline 
and uh, it aired and it got a lot of attention. We did it again outside Washington, D.C., and and that got tons of attention. We had a, a clergyman show up and military people, and a teacher and a guy who walked in the house naked. I mean, it was shocking. And so by the time it came around to doing it a third time, we collaborated with law enforcement. We've done it in that fashion ever since. And, and that was 19 years ago. So today, I mean, literally just a couple of weeks ago, we shot another investigation. If you asked me when we started, if we'd still be doing this 19, 20 years into it, I said, no, nobody's going to show up. But the reality is because of the proliferation of social media platforms, there's so much more opportunity now than when we started for adults to approach kids online and creates that danger. Predators of all kinds, mm -hmm. sexual predators preying on children, financial predators preying on adults. And we investigate it all. Are there platforms that you see patterns in when you're looking at these predators that maybe our students should be wary of? All of them. Every single one can be exploited. And then because these predators are so adept at grooming, the person who's a stranger on a Wednesday may seem like your best buddy or your mentor by the time the weekend rolls around. And we've seen cases on Instagram where adults in Florida have groomed a 12-year-old child in Michigan and convinced that child to leave their family's home and meet them. And suddenly they're the target of a child porn sexual exploitation scheme. Yeah. And then you find out the guy has done it before with two or three other victims. I mean, that's the problem with the internet. Obviously it grants us access to an amazing world of opportunity and information and education, but it also gives predators an open hunting season Mm -hmm. on our young people and and everybody. So you need to be aware, and it starts with education. So kids need to learn from a very early stage that there are adults out there who will try to take advantage of them. Yeah. And the same message is true for your parents or your grandparents. I mean, people get nicked all the time in financial schemes. And I know that's something that you and your listeners discuss all the time mm -hmm. is financial preparedness. And you have to be so careful when somebody approaches you because because the grooming is the same the same yeah really are they usually using a fake alias or is it who they say they are many times it's an alias mm -hmm. you know a guy walks in with the name of john but he's really you know todd i mean they all try to create especially when it comes to male predators they want yeah. to create some sense of anonymity and protection the male predator likes that feeling of anonymity it excites them so we see that a lot and there's nothing to prevent that i mean a potential target's not going to be able to run down the ip address necessarily i mean in one of our sting operations sometimes we can so usually we know who the person is in real life before they show up in our in our mm -hmm. sting so what is the process like after I've seen a few snippets? I grew up actually watching the show as a young person, and I thought it was just baffling. So what is the process? Does the police come after, or do they go to get help? How does it work? Traditionally, we had the police conduct a, a parallel investigation. And so once I had finished the interview, if the person decides to sit and talk to me, which most do, uh, they'd be arrested, then prosecuted. They would go through the court system, depending on their background, uh, their criminal history. Do they get 
you know, bailed out or not. And then, you know, the criminal charges are filed and they mm-hmm. either plead to those or they fight them in court. Uh, now, typically use uh, decoys who are law enforcement. And so the decoys actually work for the law enforcement agency with uh, which we're working. And it makes for a, a cleaner, neater prosecution because there's not an outside group doing the chats. Yeah. The logs are kept within law enforcement chain of custody. So it, it makes for a more sound prosecution. So once I do the interview, they're arrested and taken into custody. They go before a judge. They either get bond or they don't. And then they work their way through the court system. And, and in virtually every case, there is a successful prosecution. There's either a guilty plea and no contest plea or a, a trial in which the predator is found guilty. What was it like from going behind the camera as a journalist to being in front of the camera? Was it challenging to switch that role? Well, I, I pretty much grew up in front of the camera. I mean, from the time I was, uh, you know, a senior at Michigan State University working mm-hmm. at TV10 Action News, I've been in front of the camera. So, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. Um, yeah. Obviously, the dynamics have changed over the years. You know, it's not just uh, an audio track with video and a stand-up at the end. It's more, what I do is more immersive, more involved, more enterprising. So you become a part of the story and you become mm-hmm. the audience's you know, guide through the story. And I think one of the reasons why the Predator franchise has become so compelling is because we take the viewer, the listener as well, in the case of the podcast, inside the investigation. So they see the actual commission of a felony, witnessing things they wouldn't normally get a chance to see and hearing things they wouldn't normally get a chance to hear. And so it's this immersive experience, you know, notwithstanding the fact that in many cases there is a you know, a bit of dark humor. Mm -hmm. It is entertaining to see somebody confronted and we peel away their lies. They've come up with a story that they want to stick to when they come in. They they think, okay, what if I get caught? And so they have this story in their back pocket and every predator targeting a child wants to mitigate the horrible nature of this crime. I mean, can you think of anything much worse than preying on a child? No. Of course not. So when you get catch somebody doing it, they want to make it sound like it's not so bad. I was just here to mentor the child. I was going to show him or her that they were wrong. I was going to sit and wait until their parents got home. Well, it's all BS. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard it all. And so we become very skilled at, you know, peeling away this onion and getting to the truth. Yeah. So you started a new show called The Takedown. Is it the same concept and how did that come it to is flourish? so one of the one of the franchise series on true blue which is our new streaming crime network you can check it out at watch and i think you've got the link there is takedown and so we embed and collaborate with law enforcement all around the country and we do these predator investigations and again what we find is truly shocking the latest episode that we put out just last week, focuses on a 61-year-old doctor who was chatting with someone he thought was a teenage girl for an entire day as he's at his family practice treating patients. And he admits to me that he had seen 18 patients that day 
And in the course of treating those patients and examining them, he's photographing his genitals and sending it to who he thinks is a young girl. Then shows up after a sexually charged conversation where he wants the girl to call him daddy. And he brings Oreo cookies, knowing that she's got braces, red wine for himself, Coke for her. And he walks in and grabs her on the bottom. And I come out and confront him. And he admits all of this on camera. Mm -hmm. fakes a heart attack. They figure out that he's just, you know, pretending and they take him away. And now he's facing these very serious charges, but this is a, an educated man, a 61 year old doctor shows up in a Range Rover, well-dressed right from the practice. And so what has happened? One must ask, uh, between him and other patients, you know, being a Michigan state grad, you know, all about the Larry Nassar situation and, and, and the, the horrible nature of those crimes. And the awakening that took place on our own beloved campus as to how we need to do so much more to make sure people in positions of power, trust, and influence are not abusing that. Yeah. Right? I mean, that, that hurt me that that happened at my alma mater. And I, I'm sure it did you. So, you know, do we have another Larry Nasser situation there with this doctor? And we're going to pursue those stories. The great news about our streaming crime network true blue is that after many years of going through the network bureaucracy of a meetings and b meetings and green light meetings where it can sometimes take 12 18 24 months to get something from the idea phase to watching it on television we eliminate much of that yeah you know we we run a very focused lean operation here where we know exactly what our role is to provide enterprising crime-related content, investigative content, compelling content, and we give it directly to the consumer, the people who want to view the content. So when I get a tip on something, like the Facebook fiend, an investigation that I have the script in front of me as we sit here in the studio, um, that'll be out very soon. There's a guy who's been preying on young women throughout the country sexually assaulting them, stealing money from them, abusing them physically. And now, because these women came forward, the survivors, the victims came forward to me, and we've put this entire case together and held him accountable. Now he's being criminally prosecuted in two different jurisdictions, and he's behind bars awaiting trial. So we tell that story in a way no one else can tell it. A con women Tracy Hutsana just went to prison after bilking millions of dollars uh, from a lot of people, including a woman named Jumana Kidd, who's a television celebrity and the, the former wife of basketball great uh, Jason Kidd. Those are stories we have access to in a way no one else does. I mean, other people may do the stories, but not like we do them. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we offer. So from a, from a business model of creating, owning, and distributing content, this is exactly where a guy at my stage of the business should be. We control it, we own it, we have a brand, and we can exploit that in all very positive ways. And that's what we do here at True Blue. Do you feel a social responsibility very to air so. the show? Absolutely. I, I can imagine. I and that's one of the reasons why we, we have this close relationship with law enforcement. Mm -hmm. uh, because it is the socially responsible way to proceed. There are a lot of vigilante groups who... Uh, troll potential child predators online and they expose them for profit and views and clicks on YouTube channels. And again, there's a, there's a very important place in our society for citizen journalists. And no one who preys on a child should go unexposed 
and they should all be held accountable. But the way we do it ensures that it is socially responsible. It ensures that there is justice. And it's done in in a very calculated way. Um, And obviously, there's an entertainment value to it. Mm -hmm. But it's also done in a way where justice is served. And that's just as important. When you started, do you now see a rise in the amount of cases and magnitude since social media has become what it is today? Absolutely. I mean, you think about this. In 2004, our decoys merely went in chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. Yeah. We were doing an investigation once in Georgia where we had to stop because of a wildfire on the West Coast and the Yahoo servers went down because of the wildfire. We were out of business. We couldn't communicate with the predators who were on their way. We couldn't communicate with other potential predators who may be looking to harm children. We had to, we just stopped, came back a week later and resumed our investigation. So now, I mean, I can't even keep up with the social media platforms. And again, some of these conversations start on very mainstream platforms like Instagram. Mm-hmm. Most people don't worry about their kid being on Instagram. You know, but now there's Snapchat and TikTok and Badoo and, you know, and Racier ones like skip the games. And, and, and they may say you've got to be 18 or 19 to be on there, but that is constantly subverted. Yeah. So what is there, in your opinion, a way social media should be using their platform to be tracking in a better way? Well, I, I think there are things social media platforms can do. And I think social media platforms do a lot. There is mandatory reporting, mm-hmm. which you know Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and others all must do when they receive a report of inappropriate contact between uh, an adult and a child or the transmission of inappropriate material, pornography, child pornography, they have to report that to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And NCMEC tracks all this. And this is mandated by the government. It's some voluntary aspects to it, but it's mostly mandated. And they, they comply. And so that's how we know, for instance, that at the peak of the pandemic, the number of inappropriate contacts between adults and children soared like 900%, some crazy figure. So they do that. But at the same time, there are many more ways that can be abused because of technology and people who know the go-arounds and and how to avoid detection. And so the best protection is how you educate our children and our other potential targets. This isn't a, a problem like the drug problem where you can work on demand reduction. Yes, there's an addictive nature to the behavior that leads to the, the predator-like crime. But if you work from the inside out and creating this wall of education with children at a very early age, especially the minute that they have access to a cellular phone or any yeah. kind of internet activity, you have to teach them right away at an age-appropriate level that there are adults who will try to trick you. Mm-hmm. And you have to be very careful of that. And if you start there and continue the conversation, you know, we've got a big documentary here at True Blue that's going to come out soon on sextortion. And I have sat with parents whose child got good grades, was an athlete, made a mistake because they were lured into sending sexually explicit pictures. And then were extorted because it wasn't a young woman on the other end. It was a scam artist from West Africa. These these kids have committed suicide because of the embarrassment, because a 15 or 16-year-old's head can't wrap themselves around the fact that this is, 
not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Grandma's not going to see it. We're going to forgive you. But they go out in the backyard and hang themselves because of the shame associated with making this mistake. And so we have to remove that shame on the part of the victim, the potential victim, and say, look, if something happens, come talk to me. These are not bad kids or troubled kids. These are kids who just got embarrassed in some god-awful scam perpetrated from half a world away. Mm-hmm. And so all of this work, yes, it's entertaining, it's important, it's shocking in some aspects, but all of this work is targeted at taking people inside the mind of a predator, understanding as much as we can how it works, and then getting the voice of the victim out there and protecting other people from becoming victims. And that's what we do here. That's the mission. Mm -hmm. Kind of switching gears a little, what does a day-to-day look like for you? They're different. I mean, if we're doing a sting, it's... um, all encompassing. We're just immersed in it. Mm -hmm. And that's all we focus on for the period of time we're there, whether it's a a two day sting operation or a week long operation. And, you know, obviously in the middle of it, I had a video, one of the cameramen took a a video of me in the back room of a sting house a couple of weeks ago, where I'm actually set up with a microphone. They've got sound blankets around me where I'm doing the audio recordings for an earlier segment while we're shooting the next segment. Wow. So, you know, we are working within the operation, but it's all encompassing. Uh, you know, yesterday we did a live show from True Blue here, uh, a Q&A with our audience. The day before I was at uh, NYPD doing an interview in that Tracy Hutana scam story I was telling you about, yeah. the financial crimes detective there who was the backbone of the case. Um, I could be on the road uh, Monday shooting something else somewhere else. And in some days I'm just working out of the office in New York city or my office in Michigan. And, and, you know, we're pretty remote now. One of the things that the pandemic taught us as more television gear kept showing up via Amazon at the house every day. So we continue doing our work <laughs> is that we can work from anywhere. Yeah. You know, I'm at our studios in Cleveland right now, you know, this weekend I'll be in Michigan, I'll be in New York on, on Sunday. So we continue the process as we move around. So everything's a little different, but, you know, I can record the podcast on usually Tuesdays. So I'm wherever I am doing that. I have the gear that comes with me, the Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen podcast. So there's something every day and I find it very rewarding. I mean, I'm in a, you know, my kids are grown. We have a, a lot of energy and a lot of opportunity to continue to create this uh, very enterprising, important, and entertaining content. So we're going to keep at it. Is there a tool or skill that you would say contributed to your success? Well, I always joke, uh, you know, I'm too stupid to realize there's anything I can't do. So I I, I guess (laughs) just never put limits on yourself, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and aside from that, I think it's allowing yourself to be a student of the world and just being very curious about why things happen and being a good listener. You know, people talk about what makes someone a good interviewer. Well, a good interviewer is somebody who listens. And anybody can jump out of the bushes or from behind a curtain or around the corner and scare the heck out of somebody and create 10 seconds of very dramatic video. My goal, whether it's in the predator investigations or anything else, is to get inside this guy's head and have them talk to me. I can't tell you how many times somebody says, I'm not going to talk to you. And then all of a sudden, the dam bursts and they tell me everything, you know, and it's about being patient. It's about listening. It's about knowing enough about your target or your interview subject to get them to 
tell you their story. And if you're patient enough, nine times out of 10, they will. Mm -hmm. I always end and ask this question. If you could give a piece of advice to a teenager college version of yourself, what would you tell him today? Don't put limits on yourself. Don't ever say that's a target that's too far away or too high for me to shoot at. Uh, there's nothing you can't do. And again, just find your passion. I'm so lucky that, that I love what I do for a living. I mean, it's dark, yes. Does it scare you sometimes? Absolutely. But as I always say, if it was easy, everybody could do it. You know, so find your passion, find what you think is important and gives you some satisfaction at the end of the day that you change the world in your own little way. And you don't have to be a television journalist to do that. Mm -hmm. A million different places you could be changing the world. Find your niche and find, you know, what makes you happy in terms of, of completing that task at the end of every day and you'll be just fine. Thank you, Chris, for coming on CO Uncovered. I think our students are going to love listening to your journey in journalism and how you ended up as successful as you are today. So thank you again. Go green, Spartans will. 